Having provided six charges against the false teachers, Jude now returns again to the Old Testament with three examples of wickedness in Jude verse 11. Cain, Balaam, and Korah. This is the sixth triad in the epistle of Jude. The first triad was in verse 1, three actions of God, called, loved, and kept. Then in verse 2, three blessings on saints, mercy, peace, and love. Then in verse 4, three charges against false teachers. They crept in unaware, turned grace into licentiousness, deny only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 5 through 7, we had three examples of judgment, Israel in the wilderness, the fallen angels in Genesis 6, and Sodom and Gomorrah. Then in verse 8, we had three more charges against the false teachers. They defile the flesh, they reject authority, and they revile angelic majesties. And now in verse 11, we have three examples of wickedness, Cain, Balaam, and Korah. Now Jude provides these three examples to underscore that the false teachers, like these wicked men of the past, are intent on destroying God's people. We cannot underscore enough the reason for the repetition about false teachers is that they are in the church, they have infiltrated the church, and they are bent on the destruction of God's people. Now, like Peter, Jude supports all of his exhortations with Old Testament proof text. The constant use of the Old Testament here demonstrates its importance to you and me, believer. We must not ignore two-thirds of the Scripture. Step up to the challenge. Study the Old Testament. I challenge you to study it diligently, to study it in great detail, and to study it for long periods. Follow the example of the prophets who, according to 1 Peter 1.10, made careful searches and long inquiries in the Old Testament. In other words, they diligently and exactingly investigated the text in great detail for long periods. Daniel's an example of a prophet making careful searches and inquiries. In Daniel 8.15, he said, When I, Daniel had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. So, my friends, do not, please do not give up in frustration. Ask yourself this. How many believers are malnourished and impoverished because they've neglected two-thirds of the Scriptures? Perhaps you're malnourished spiritually or impoverished spiritually because you've neglected two-thirds of the Scripture. So step up to the challenge Study it diligently, study it in great detail, study it for long periods. Now before discussing his three examples of wickedness, Jude utters a woe in verse 11. Woe to them. The term woe, ooh is an onomatopoeia. That is, it is derived from the sound it imitates. In the case of ooh it mimics the sound of an eagle's cry. It's meant to be an eerie, foreboding sound. Now, the pronouncement of a woe prophetically is known as a woe oracle. A woe oracle conveys a warning of judgment, doom, pain, discomfort, or misery against an individual or nation. And they are prominent, these woe oracles are prominent among the Old Testament prophets. 
Numbers 21-29. Woe to you, Moab! You are ruined, O people of Shamash. Isaiah 3.11. Woe to the wicked! It will go badly with him, for what he deserves will be done to him. Hosea 7.13. Woe to them, for they have strayed from me. Jesus announced woes upon the city of Chorazan and Bethsaida and also the Pharisees. Matthew 11.21. Woe to you, Chorazan! Woe to you, Bethsaida! Matthew 23.13. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites! In fact, Christ uttered seven woes against the Pharisees in that text. Also, in Revelation, the first three trumpet judgments, the first three trumpet judgments of the tribulation are known as woes. Revelation 8.13, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Revelation 9.12, The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. Revelation 11.14, The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. And then Paul pronounced woe upon himself if he failed to preach the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9.16 Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Now believer, how many of you would be willing to be afflicted with judgment, pain, or misery for failing to execute the particular stewardship God has given you? God has given you a stewardship. He's given you a responsibility. And if you're not fulfilling your God-given responsibility, then woe unto you. That Jude pronounces a woe oracle demonstrates that he is continuing the ministry of the prophet. Jude announced this woe oracle against them. That is the false teachers. And this is just the beginning of the well oracle. He begins with these three examples from the Old Testament of wickedness and parallels them to the wickedness of the false teachers. So these three examples, Cain, Balaam, and Korah, are the foundation of the well oracle. Here's the reason Here's an example of why this woe is about to be pronounced on them. Now the first example of the false teachers from the Old Testament is Cain. Verse 11, first part of verse 11. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. So here's our first example, the way of Cain, or Cain. Now the verb have gone means to live or behave. Often this verb can be translated as walk. And the way refers to a manner of life or course of conduct. Now in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, have gone the way of, or literally walked in the way of, is used to imply that someone was following the moral example of another person. 1 Kings 15, 26 and 34. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father or have gone the way of his father and in his sin, which he made Israel sin. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and 
walked in the way of Jeroboam, have gone the way of Jeroboam, and in his sin which he made Israel sin. 1 Kings 16, 2, 19, and 26. You have gone the way of Jeroboam, you've walked in the way of Jeroboam, and have made my people Israel sin. Because of his sin which he sinned, doing evil in the sight of the Lord, walking in the way of Jeroboam, having gone in the way of Jeroboam, and in his sin which he did, making Israel sin. For he walked in all the ways of, he gone in all the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in his sins, which he made Israel sin. In other words, false teachers follow the moral example of Cain. Now, what was the moral example of Cain? When one considers Cain, they immediately think of the fact that he murdered his brother Abel. Indeed, the Apostle John used Cain's murder of Abel as an example of hatred for one's brother or sister. 1 John 3, 11 and 12. We should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother, and for what reason did he slay him? However, Jude is comparing the false teachers to Cain. There's nothing textually to accuse these false teachers of murder or even hate. So to answer the question of Cain's moral example, we must study the original text in which Cain appears, namely Genesis 4, 3 to 8. Genesis 4, 3 to 8. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel on his part also brought of the firstling of his flock and of their fat portion. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Now both Cain and Abel obeyed God and brought their sacrifices to the appointed place and at the appointed time. However, the Lord accepted Abel's offering and rejected Cain's. Abel brought what God required, a blood sacrifice. Cain, on the other hand, brought a bloodless sacrifice. And a bloodless sacrifice offers no forgiveness. Hebrews 9.22 According to the law, one may almost say, all things are cleansed with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Now, both Cain and Abel gave her their substance, sheep and fruit. And though Cain offered a sacrifice, his sacrifice is not what God required. Cain wanted to please God on his terms, not God's. And as such, God disregarded his sacrifice. See, offering sacrifices without obedience is a form of ritualism which God hates. Amos 5, 21 and 22, I hate, I reject your festivals, no, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, and I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. And so, believer, we need to examine ourselves. We need to examine what we're doing, what we're sacrificing for God, and let's make sure it's what God requires. Let's make sure, believer, that we're pleasing God on his terms. Now, God asks Cain, why 
he is angry and depressed. However, God did not wait for Cain to answer. God instructed Cain to do well. Now, the word to do well, yatab, implies going and offering the proper sacrifice. The phrase lifted up refers to being accepted or forgiven. Now, note that in Genesis 4-7, the phrase your countenance was added by the English translators. The Targum Ankalas, a Babylonian Aramaic translation, translates verse 7 of Genesis 4 this way, If you'll amend your ways, your sins will be forgiven. But if you will not amend your ways, your sin awaits for you, your, awaits you for your day of judgment when you will be punished if you will not repent. But if you repent, it will be forgiven you. Thus God told Cain that if he obeyed and offered the required sacrifice, God would forgive him. However, if Cain refused to repent, then sin is crouching at the door. And the intended wordplay pictures sin as a lion that is crouching, ready to pounce on its prey. Friends, unrepentant sin will result in judgment. And it resulted in judgment upon Cain. Instead, Cain must master his sin. Now, context dictates that the term master conveys the idea of management or stewardship. Sin wants to control Cain, but Cain must control sin. And the only way to control sin is to confess and forsake it. And so, believer, you and I have the same challenge. If we will not confess and forsake our sin, it will, like a lion, pounce on us and devour and destroy us. So Cain goes and tells his brother about his conversation with God. However, his purpose was not one of demonstrating contrition. Next, Cain lured Abel into the field. Perhaps Cain told Abel to go out in the field to procure sheep for sacrifice. And once out in the field, away from witnesses, Cain murdered his brother. You see, Cain's refusal to obey God resulted in God being displeased and rejecting Cain. And as such, Cain became angry and depressed. Literally, his countenance fell. See, Cain's unregenerate nature was displayed in his rejection of God and rebellion against God. God required a blood sacrifice. Cain rejected God's requirement and brought a vegetarian sacrifice instead. God commanded Cain to repent, but Cain rebelled by murdering his brother Abel. As Jude warns, beware the way of Cain. Now, Jewish writings of this era explain why Jude chose Cain as an example of false teachers. Josephus records that Cain was guilty of a variety of sins and taught those sins to others. He stated, quote, He excited his acquaintance to procure pleasures and spoils by robbery, and he became a great leader of men into wicked courses. Philo, in that the worse attacks the better, charges Cain with self-love and selfishness. He states, Cain, who refers everything to himself, for his name being interpreted means acquisition, is the self-loving opinion, on which account everyone who is a lover of self by surname Cain should learn that he has destroyed the namesake of Abel. According to the Jewish Targums, that is commentaries, Pseudo-Jonathan and Neophyte, Cain was viewed as an archetypal heretic 
who denied any future judgments for the righteous or the wicked. Accordingly, Cain is attributed with stating that, quote, there is no judgment, there is no judge. There is no other world, there is no gift of good reward for the just, and no punishment for the wicked. Now, these extra-biblical texts imply that the general view held by the Jews and the early church was that besides being a murderer, Cain was a false teacher consumed by jealousy, hate, pride, and selfishness. As well, he taught others to pursue sensual pleasures and sin and was a denier of God as judge, who will one day mete out rewards and punishment. And present-day false teachers follow Cain, the original false teacher, in his rejection of and rebellion against God. And as such, they are damned. Now the second example of false teachers from the Old Testament is Balaam. Balaam is the central figure of Numbers 22-24. Verse 11 again, And for pay, they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam. Now Balaam, the son of Beor, a prophet from Mesopotamia, was hired by Balak, king of Moab, to curse Israel. Yahweh commanded Balaam not to go to Moab. And initially Balaam refused. However, after being offered money by the king, Balaam implored Yahweh to let him go to Moab. God allowed him to go with the provision that Balaam could only speak what he told him. Numbers 22, 5 to 6, 12, and 16 to 20. So Balak sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pethor, which is near the river, in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, a people came out of Egypt. Behold, they cover the surface of the land, and they are living opposite me. Now therefore, please come, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I may be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. God said to Balaam, Do not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. Go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. They came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing, I beg you, hinder you from coming to me, for I will indeed honor you richly, and I will do whatever you say to me. Please come then, curse this people for me. Balaam replied to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not do anything, either small or great, contrary to the command of the Lord my God. Now please, you also stay here tonight, and I will find out what else the Lord will speak to me. God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If these men have come to call you, rise up and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you shall you do. Now God's anger was kindled against Balaam for going to Moab and placed an angel with a sword in his path to kill Balaam. See, though God had allowed him to go, his anger was against Balaam due to his motivation for going. Greed. And though Balaam could not see the angel, the donkey he was riding could. And when the donkey refused to move, Balaam beat the donkey, at which point God enabled the donkey to speak with a human voice and complain about Balaam's cruelty. Yahweh opened Balaam's eyes, enabling him to see the angel. And immediately he fell on his face and acknowledged his sin. Numbers 22, 22, 27, 28, 31, and 34. But God was angry because he was going. 
And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam was angry and struck the donkey with a stick. And the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed all the way to the ground. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you are standing in the way against me. Now, he gets to Moab, and three times Balak demanded curses against Israel. But each time, Balaam could only speak blessings because God took control of his tongue. Numbers 23, 7, 8, and 11. Balak said, Come, curse Jacob for me. Come, denounce Israel. Balaam said, How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? Then Balak said to Balaam, What have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, but behold, you have actually blessed them. I called you to curse my enemies, but behold, you have persisted in blessing them these three times. Deuteronomy 23, 5. Nevertheless, the Lord your God was not willing to listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. Now, after giving three blessings, Balaam proceeds to pronounce four prophecies which culminate with a prophecy of the Messiah. Balak refused to pay Balaam and told him to return home. Instead, Balaam remains in Moab. See, Balaam remained in Moab because his earlier acknowledgement of sin was not genuine. Repentance. Unable to pronounce a curse upon Israel and motivated by greed, Balaam devised a scheme to get his money from Balak. If he could not curse Israel, he'd get Israel to curse itself. And so he advised Balak to entice the men of Israel to engage in sexual debauchery with Moabite and Midianite temple prostitutes. Now the pseudographical book, Pseudophilo, records Balaam's advice. Accordingly, Balaam stated, pick out the beautiful women who are among us and in Midian, station them naked and adorned with gold and precious stones before them, and when they see them and lie with them, they will sin against their Lord and fall into your hands. And indeed, that's exactly what happened. The Israelite men fornicated with the prostitutes and soon worshipped their false gods. In response, God sent a plague resulting in the death of 24,000 Israelite men. Numbers 25, 1-3 and verse 9. When Israel remained in Shittim, the people began to play the harlot with the daughters of Moab, for they invited the people to sacrifice their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel joined themselves to Baal of Peor, and the Lord was angry against Israel. Those who died by the plague were 24,000. Believers, beware. God does not play around with sin, particularly the sins of immorality and idolatry. Now, God commanded Israel to strike down the Midianites for their role in Balaam's plan. Numbers 25, 17, 18, and 31, 16. Be hostile to the Midianites and strike them, for they have been hostile to you with their tricks, with which they have deceived you in the affair of Peor and in the affairs of Cosby. Behold, these caused the sons of Israel 
through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor. So the plague was among the congregation of the Lord. And during this attack, Balaam was killed. Numbers 31 verse 8. They killed the kings of Midian along with the rest of their slain. Evi, Rechem, and Zor, Har, and Reba, the five kings of Midian. They also killed Balaam, the son of Beor, with the sword. Joshua 13, 22. The sons of Israel killed Balaam, the son of Beor, the diviner, with the sword among the rest of their slain. Now, understanding the Old Testament narrative explains the error of Balaam. The term error, plane, refers to delusion or deceit. See, Balaam's error was twofold. He deceived himself and then sought to deceive the Israelites. See, first, Balaam's error was deceiving himself, believing that he could outwit God and get away with greed. He was nothing more than a prophet for hire. In his greed, he broke God's command against covetousness. And see, false teachers like Balaam were motivated by greed to the point they deceived themselves. For pay, they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam. The term for pay, misthos, refers to a payment for wrongdoing. Peter also used the term misthos in 2 Peter 2.15. Balaam loved the wages of unrighteousness. That word wages, misthos. Now the verb, have rushed headlong into... Echeo means to wholeheartedly pour oneself into something. In other words, these false teachers for money wholeheartedly pour themselves into the same sin as Balaam. And that sin was teaching others to partake in immorality and idolatry. Lou and Nita translate this portion of verse 11 as follows. They gave themselves completely to the kind of deception that Balaam practiced for the sake of money. Indeed, as Peter states in 2 Peter 2.3, that in greed, false teachers will exploit with false words. Remember, Jesus warned in Matthew 5.17, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. That term ravenous, hapox, means excessively greedy or driven by greed. And their excessive and immoderate greed acts out in extortion. Second, Balaam's error was deceiving others by encouraging the Israelites to engage in immorality and idolatry. Jude previously stated in verse 8 that they defile the flesh. As Peter revealed in 2 Peter 2, 10 and 14, false teachers indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires, have eyes full of adultery and a heart trained in greed. And their goal is to entice unstable souls by having others, that is, immature believers, engage in their immorality. Believer, beware! False teachers are in the church. They're masquerading as sheep. And not only are they ravenous or greedy, but they want to entice you to engage in immorality and idolatry. As Jesus revealed to the church of Pergamos in Revelation 2.14, there were some in the church who hold the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of immorality. Balaam's teaching was to entice others to corrupt God's people to engage in immorality and idolatry. 
Interestingly, Paul equates immorality and greed, among other sins, to idolatry. Colossians 3.5 Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Now, though Jude says nothing of the talking donkey that prevented Balaam's death and rebuked him, Peter did. 2 Peter 2.16 But he received a rebuke for his own transgression. For a mute donkey, speaking with the voice of a man, restrained the madness of the prophet. See, Peter's point was that a mute donkey perceives spiritual realities instead of the supposed prophet of God. Regardless of claiming to be from God, false teachers are as blind as Balaam to spiritual truth. Sadly, Balaam did not heed the donkey's rebuke and later died unceremoniously. And present-day false teachers like Balaam are greedy and encourage others to engage in immorality and idolatry. And as such, they, they will face a similar fate as Balaam for their apostasy. Now the third example of the false teacher of wickedness from the Old Testament is Korah, verse 11 of Jude, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Now Korah is the central figure in the narrative of number 16. Korah, a Levite, along with Datham and Abiram, both of the tribe of Reuben, led 250 leaders in a coup against Moses and Aaron. Number 16, 1-3. Now Korah the Levite with Datham and Abiram, Reubenites, took action, and they rose up before Moses together with 250 leaders against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone far enough, for all the congregation are holy. So why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? See, they claim that since God deemed Israel as holy, then everyone in Israel should be qualified to be leaders. Thus, Moses and Aaron had overstepped the nation's authority by appointing themselves as the political and priestly leaders. Korah took issue with the priesthood being relegated to Aaron's descendants, while Datham and Abiram took issue with Moses' leadership. Numbers 16, 10-13 He has brought you near, Korah, and all your brothers, sons of Levi, with you. And are you seeking for the priesthood also? Therefore you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. But as for Aaron, who is he that you grumble against him? Then Moses sent a summons to Datham and Abiram, the sons of Eliab. And they said, We will not come up. Is it not enough that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to have us die in the wilderness, but you'd also lord it over us? Distressed and disturbed, Moses prayed and defended himself to Yahweh. Number 16.15 I have not taken a single donkey from them, nor have I done to harm to any of them. He commands Korah and the company to come to the tabernacle and present an offering of incense to Yahweh. And whoever's incense was accepted by God would be the divinely appointed leader. Number 16, 17, and 30. Each of you take his fire pan and put incense in it. And each of you bring his censer before the Lord, 250 fire pans. Also you and Aaron shall each bring his fire pan. Now if the Lord brings about an entirely new thing and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that is theirs and they descend alive into Sheol, then you will understand that these men have spurned the Lord. Now Jude chose Korah because he's an example of rebellion in both Jewish and Christian traditions. Josephus records that Korah raised a clamor against him among the Levites who were of the same tribes, especially among his kindred. The multitudes themselves were provoked 
or to be seditious, and attempted to stone Moses and gather themselves together after an indecent manner with confusion and disorder. Pseudophila recorded that, quote, and then Korah and 200 men with him rebelled and said, why is an unbearable law imposed upon us? Clement of Rome stated in 1 Clement 4.12 and 51.1-4, Envy brought down Dathan and Abiram alive into Hades through the sedition which they excited against God's servant Moses. For it is better that a man should acknowledge his transgressions than that he should harden his heart as the hearts of those were hardened who stirred up sedition against Moses the servant of God and whose condemnation was manifest unto all. For they went down alive into Hades and death swallowed them up. Now here in the text, Jude calls Korah's attempted coup a rebellion, antologia. Now the term rebellion, antologia, refers to disputing or refusing to accept an authority. See, though he had priestly responsibilities, Korah resented and rejected Moses and Aaron's authority. Korah and his co-conspirators failed to remember that God had appointed Moses and Aaron to their office. Indeed, God appoints all rulers. Daniel 2, 21, he removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. John 19, 11, Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Romans 13, 1. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. You see, my friends, when you dispute or refuse to accept an authority, a God-placed authority, you are in rebellion against God's appointed authorities. Paul states in Romans 13, 2, that whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they have, those who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. And indeed, Korah and his cronies were condemned. Korah, Datham, and Abiram and their families all died when the earth opened beneath their feet, and they fell to their death. Number 16, 31 to 33. As he finished speaking all these words, the ground that was under them split open, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, and their household, and all the men who belonged to Korah with their possessions. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive to Sheol. And the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. As well, they were cast into Sheol, known today as hell. That their families were included in God's judgment is illustrative of the principle of family solidarity and collective punishment. Exodus 20, verse 5. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children unto the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Now, listen. The law states that individuals are accountable only for their sin. Deuteronomy 24, 16. Fathers should not be put to death for their sons, nor sons shall be put to death for their fathers. Everyone shall be put to death for their own sin. Therefore, Korah, Dathan, and Abraham's families must have participated in the rebellion. However, some of Korah's descendants did not participate in the rebellion and thus did not die. Numbers 26, 10 to 11. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up along with Korah. When that company died, when the fire devoured 250 men so that they became a warning. The sons of Korah, however, did not die. Now, the 250 leaders 
were consumed by fire. Number 1635. Fire also came forth from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. And their death served as a warning to all future generations. In particular, the incense censers, which belonged to the 250, were hammered into plates that were attached to the brazen altar as a perpetual reminder to the people of the dangers of rebellion. Number 1638. As for the censures of these men who have sinned at the cost of their lives, let them be made into hammered sheets for a plating of the altar, since they did present them before the Lord, and they are holy, and they shall be a sign to the sons of Israel. You see, my friends, just as Korah rebelled against Moses and Aaron, God's appointed authority, so too false teachers rebel against God's appointed authorities, namely Jesus Christ. At the least, they challenge his authority by teaching against his word. However, as Jude has previously revealed, these false teachers deny and reject Christ's authority. These present-day false teachers like Korah are rebellious, rejecting Christ's lordship. Now, Jude also notes that these false teachers perished in the rebellion of Korah. The verb perished, apolumi, has a dual meaning. On one hand, it means to utterly destroy or ruin something so that it can no longer fulfill the purpose for which it was designed. On the other hand, it means to kill or do away with someone or something. And in the case of Korah and the rest of these rebels, they were killed and cast into Sheol, or hell. Now the verb perished is what is known as a proleptic heiress, meaning that the judgment of false teachers is certain. It was established in the past and will be executed in the future. The false teachers will perish in the same manner as Korah. That is, they will die and be cast into hell. Judah has given three examples of false teachers from the Old Testament. Three examples of wickedness and parallels the wickedness of false teachers. You see, false teachers follow the way of Cain. Like Cain, they are heretics who are selfish. They have rushed headlong into the era of Balaam. See, like Balaam, they are greedy, encouraging others to engage in immorality and idolatry. And false teachers have perished in the rebellion of Korah. Like Korah, they rebel against God's appointed authority and as such are doomed to hell and eventually a lake of fire. All three men had scriptural truth. All three men refused to obey that truth. Be warned, believer. Do not make the same mistake. You have been given scriptural truth. Do not refuse to obey that truth. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this text and for giving us these three examples from the Old Testament. So that, Father, we, we can see the wickedness of these false teachers for what it really is. There's nothing new under the sun. They're simply regurgitating what's been done in the past. And most certainly, Father, you have pronounced woe to them, damnation upon them. Oh, Father, keep us from these sins. Keep us from following the way of Cain. Keep us from the error of Baal. Keep us from the rebellion of Korah. Oh, Father, help us, I pray, that we would not be heretical. We might not be engaging in jealousy and selfishness and greed and immorality or idolatry or even rebellion. Lord, help us to submit to you, to your son's authority, and to those authorities that you place over us. Father, help us. Keep us from the evil one, Father. 
Help us to check ourselves. Help us to constantly look so that we can forsake sin, so we can confess it, Father, so that we will not be punished for it. Lord, I thank you that, Lord, you have forgiven us. And because of that, because we're in Christ, there is now no, therefore no condemnation upon us. I thank you, Lord. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for loving us enough to warn us so that we may be kept from wickedness. We pray this in your son's precious name. Amen.